Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me yet, my name is Jill Nelson, and I am the children's director here at The Grove. Um, it's really fun to look out at grown-ups today. Uh, normally, you'll find me back with the little kids regularly with the preschoolers or sometimes with the younger ones. Um, but this is really fun because I don't have to tell you guys to keep your hands to yourselves. So thank you, or at least I do expect you to keep your hands to yourselves. Um, I'm sure you guys are going to be awesome. Um, so we don't need to put on our listening ears or our looking eyes or our thinking caps. And it's kind of strange for me. I get to use big words today. So I have been loving this series that we have been doing going through Genesis. Um, it's one of those books that I'm really familiar with purely because I teach Sunday school. And children's Bibles do a lot of Genesis in them. Um, so... We have gone from creation, and we've gone from those stories of early man, and then we've spent the last few weeks learning about a man named Abram. Um, God later changes his name to Abraham. So you might hear me use both, because today we're looking at one passage of Scripture where he's Abram and another where he's Abraham, so it'll be all over the place. Um, I kind of feel bad for Abram, though, because like in our life group, as we've been talking about these stories, we're kind of like, he kind of screwed up a lot. Like He gets a bad rap. Um, we've seen some pretty big ups and downs. I would say when he called his wife his sister and gave her to the Pharaoh to be his wife, that wasn't the most impressive moment he's had. Um, but he's also done some really great things like sticking with his nephew Lot and rescuing him and in, along the way defeating some armies that were much bigger than him. So that was pretty impressive. Uh, and God loved Abraham and had a relationship with him through these ups and downs. So as I've been studying for this and working on today's message, I've just really come to love how much God is faithful to this man who has good moments and bad moments. Um, Abram's a character that I've known particular stories of his life, and I've known his story is really important, but it wasn't until this past spring when my Bible study ladies and I went through a study that took us through the entire Bible in six weeks, um, like, we can pretend we've read the whole Bible in six weeks. We didn't read the whole thing. But it really looked at Abraham in depth and understanding that so much hinged on what God did in Abraham's life. So because of Abraham, we have the rest of the Bible. And God made promises to Abraham that he is still keeping today. Like, this promise from so long ago in the Old Testament that we might easily dismiss is still affecting our lives today. And I think that's so powerful and impressive. And it makes Abraham be someone we really should spend some time looking at. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Genesis 16. So if you have an app, you can go ahead and start going there or look it up in your Bibles. It'll also be on the screen. Um, but I want to actually take us back a few chapters while you're looking that up to give some background. So Abraham was married, or Abram at this time, was married to Sarai, and they were old and didn't have children. Uh, and then in Genesis 12, in verse 2, God says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And the idea of being made into a great nation implies children, which Abram didn't have yet. And then later in verse 7, again, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So again, God's promising you will have children. And then Abram and Sarai go to Egypt, and then eventually they end up back in the land that God keeps saying, This is the land that will be for you. And so in chapter 13, verse 14, The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are to the north and south to the east and west. All, the, all that you see, 
I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Like, they're going to have that many children. It's going to keep going. It's going to be huge. And there's Abram and Sarai. Still don't have children yet. A little confused by it. Then we're going to skip forward to chapter 15. And again, um, God is promising Abram that he's going to be the father of nations. And Abram says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is a servant. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And in this moment, this is one of my favorite verses about Abram, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So Abram, the screw-up, who made mistakes, God's giving him a huge promise, and he believed it. Well, that's when we eventually get to chapter 16, and we find out that 10 years have passed, or over 10 years have passed, because Abram and Sarah have been living in Canaan, that land they went to after Egypt for 10 years, and they don't have children yet. They're only getting older, which doesn't help them. And that's where we're at when we get to chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. We have to pause here real quick. Sarah is a powerful woman. She tells her husband to do something, and he does it. Um, I have to give her a little bit of credit because it's been 10 years at this point, and she has been waiting, and she's not seeing where it's going to go, and she's probably starting to question that God will actually fulfill his promise. And so she's decided, I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and we're going to make this happen. Um, I can relate because I have a hard time waiting for promises to happen. Uh, Back when Nolan and I were dating, I knew he was going to propose. And we'd already talked through wedding dates because we had lots of family issues to work around and, like, people moving and going to the military and that kind of thing. And so I knew he was going to propose at some point because I knew he'd ordered a ring and we'd reserved the location, but he wasn't proposing yet. And patience is not my virtue. Um, and so every time we were going to go do something, I'm thinking, he could propose tonight. After we go to this event, he could then do something really romantic, and he'd propose, and then we'd be engaged. And then he wouldn't, and I would pout. Um, and so poor Nolan, like the few weeks leading up to when he actually proposed, I pouted a lot. And it's not that I didn't think he was going to propose. I just thought he had really great opportunities, and he wasn't taking them up. Um, Although, really, it was because the ring hadn't arrived yet, so he had a good excuse. Um, he did do a really good job at this proposal, and obviously we got married. But I can relate to Sarah here. She's feeling a little impatient. She doesn't see how it's going to happen. So we know that Abram married Hagar, which actually in those days was culturally totally acceptable. Um, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, "'You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering.'" She's really good at blaming her husband. Um, I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. 
he didn't want to get involved. Um, then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I am running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore to Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So to summarize, God had made a promise to Abram and Sarai. And then when they got impatient, Sarai took matters into her own hands, which brought Hagar into the story. Hagar gets pregnant, starts mistreating Sarai. Sarai doesn't like it. Abram gives her permission to do whatever she wants, so she starts treating Hagar badly. So Hagar runs away. And in that moment, what I love is that God met Hagar in her distress. He went to her, and he met her, and he asked her, where are you? And he told her to go back because he had a plan and then not only that, but he extended the promise that he had made to Abram for Isaac, who, spoiler alert, here comes Isaac. Um, he extended the promise to Ishmael so that way he would have, be a father of great nations too. So these people don't always make the best choices. They're kind of ridiculous if you ask me, but I really can't speak into that situation because obviously I couldn't wait two weeks to get proposed to. Um, but we're going to skip ahead now to chapter 21, but one thing to note along the way is that between chapters 16 and 21, God continues to promise Abram and Sarai, who then become Abraham and Sarah, that he will give them a son. And he even appears to them and he tells them, within a year, you are going to have a baby, which Sarah laughs at because she knows how old she is. It's now been 13 years, um, and so she's having a hard time believing so now when we skip ahead to 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in her old age at the very time that God had promised him. Abraham gave the, son Isaac, or gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day that Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking. A note about Ishmael here. So it was 14 years between when Ishmael was born and when Isaac was born. And then it was another three or four years in their culture for how long it takes to wean a child. So Ishmael is full-blown teenager here. Does it surprise you he's mocking the situation? No. I had three, teen three brothers. So teenage years were not fun. Um, so more humanness right here. So Sarah saw him mocking 
And she said to Abraham, get rid of the slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. I love the shift here. Before, when Sarah was upset, Abraham didn't really care, and he's like, just go do whatever. And this time, he's invested. He's clearly been a father to his son, and so it distresses him. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of a slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders, and he sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. When she went off and sat down, in a, uh, then she went and sat off, sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God, hearing the boy crying, and the, and they, I'm sorry, God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. And while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. So to summarize this section, God made a promise. God kept his promise. Isaac was born. He's the fulfillment of this promise that was made so many years ago. And God did it in God's way. Well, then they're celebrating Isaac, and Ishmael starts mocking him, as a teenager would. Um, and also, he's a donkey of a man. What do you expect? Um, so Sarah wants them gone, and Abraham is told by God, do what your wife wants. So Hagar and Ishmael go off. They run out of water in the desert. She's just sure they're going to die. And once again, God meets her in her distress because he heard Ishmael crying, and he again extends his promise to Ishmael. When I first found out that this was the passage I was going to be preaching on, I might have moaned and groaned and been like, seriously? But James was really nice, and he saved me from an even harder passage, so I really do appreciate it. Um, the relationship between Hagar and Sarah is one that I was just like, I don't really feel like there's a bunch I can learn from this. It's just, what is there for me in this? But as I have spent time in it and as I've gotten to know them through it, what I have seen is that this is a story that highlights God beautifully. Because really, it's about God and who he is. He's the hero in these stories. So rather than getting caught up in all these little human people, it's a matter of looking at who is God right here. And what we see is that God is reigning over this story um, in a way that is amazing and is totally broadening our perspective about him. Because God had made them a promise and when they didn't have the faith or the ability to trust that he would keep that promise, they took matters into their own hands. And still, God kept his promise. Abraham and Sarah experienced consequences because of their choices. Um, because they had a lack of faith, they got to see the short-term bitterness between Hagar and Sarah, and then Sarah and Hagar, and then Ishmael and Isaac. Um, and then Abraham had to experience put letting go of a son that he loved. But even though their faith was lacking and they did their absolute best to screw up God's plan, God still extended his promise even further. Like he reached it even further. Um, 
I want to spend a few minutes looking at these three main characters that we see in the story. First Sarai, then Abraham, and then Hagar. Uh, because in the midst of all their story, a really big truth about God comes out. Um, as I said, I can relate the best to Sarah probably because I can be impatient. Um, there have been times where I feel like God is leading me somewhere or giving me a really great dream of something I can do for him or do with him would probably be a better way of saying it. And I have all these ideas for it, so I decide to make a plan for how God is going to fulfill that calling. Like, I'm like, well, God, here is my timeline, and here's what I think should happen. And then when it doesn't happen that way, I go, okay, God, let's make a new plan. Here's the new plan of how you're going to act. So I can totally relate to Sarai. I may not bring other wives into the picture for my husband, but I can understand her impatience. So she waited 10 years. And at that point, her sin was that she lacked faith. She didn't believe that God could do what God said he would do, or she didn't have the ability to trust that God would do it in his way. Her faith weakened, and so she took matters into her own hands. She limited her scope of, like her limited God, to her scope of understanding. She said, God, this is who you are, this is what I understand and where I can go, and you need to fit within this picture. Sarai knew what the end result would be, a baby, and so she decided that to get from point A to point B, this is what's going to happen. Abram's failure wasn't necessarily that he listened to his wife. I feel like he's come a long way since he handed her over to the Pharaoh and said that she was just his sister. Um, he listened to her, yes, but the problem is that he did what she said without seeking the Lord. Um, we know that earlier in other passages, Abraham had sought the Lord on things, and in this situation, he didn't. Um, he didn't think about what the consequences might be for what their actions were. So God did not need Abram's help, but Abram and Sarai thought that he did. Um, their efforts on producing a child on their own actually resulted in a whole lot of conflict, not just right then, but we're still experiencing the conflict of their decisions because Ishmael is the father of the, Ab the Arab countries in the Middle East, and Abram, through Isaac, is the father of the Jewish people, and they are in conflict. They have always been in conflict. Um, so, you know, when you hear, like, the beauty queens be like, I want peace in the Middle East, like, world peace, that's their dream. Well, thank you, Abraham and Sarah, we'll never see that happen. It's just not going to happen. Um, so we are still experiencing the ramifications of their choices. And then there's Hagar, who I feel bad for because she was kind of just thrown into the situation. She was a slave. She had to do whatever they told her to do. But then she became prideful, and she started treating Sarah badly. And so she had her own issues that she brought to the table. But what I love is that even with her situation and with the wrongs that were done to her and then the wrongs that she did, God still met her there. In her distress, he was there for her. And that was when he extended his promise to Ishmael. He gave her great hope. Like, it would have been easy to just say, well, let's focus on Isaac. But instead, God still loved her and had compassion toward her. Um, so to put that simply, we have Sarai's sin of her lack of faith that she didn't trust that God would do what he said he would do. We have Abram's sin of not considering the whole picture and not acting the way God would want him to. And then we have Hagar's sin of pride. And there's just a whole lot of ugliness in these people. And sin gets ugly. Like, I don't enjoy ugliness when I'm faced with either my own sin or other people's choices that are ugly. I just want to withdraw and not be a part of it because I'm like, I don't have time for that. Um, but thankfully, 
God is not limited to human reactions like we are. God made a promise to Abraham, and despite the lack of faith that Abram and Sarah showed, God still kept his promise, and Isaac was the fulfillment of that promise. Um, you could say that Isaac was an act of God, like, you know how they describe, like, weather phenomenons and hurricanes and those kinds of things as an act of God that only God can do. Man can't create those. That is what Isaac was. Isaac was the result of divine intervention in the lives of Abraham and Sarah. They were too old to have children, yet they had a son. It was God who promised, and it was God who fulfilled that promise. And it happens exactly how he said it would. It happened when he said it would. Everything about what God said he would do, he did. So despite everything that Abraham and Sarah did, God's plan wasn't delayed and it wasn't defeated because what God promised, God did. Like, that's the big point that I just kept coming back to and seeing this story. Um, the other night, I had all these notes. Like, I just took notes and notes and notes and had lots of thoughts. And I had talked to James about it, and he had thoughts. And so I had all these things, and I had no idea where it was supposed to go because I had too much. And I'm a verbal processor, so in my world, unless I've talked about it, it hasn't happened or been thought about it. Thought about um, So at midnight, Thursday night, I was like, Nolan, you have to talk to me about this because we hadn't had a chance to. I'm like, I need to process this, and this is our only time. And poor Nolan is not a verbal processor, and he doesn't do well being sprung on, having things sprung on him, so he wasn't too enthusiastic. Um, But I made him talk anyways because I'm like, this is not going to go anywhere unless we figure this out. And so as we're talking it through, and then the next morning he had more coherent thoughts for me, um, we kept talking about, like, why did God want this story included in the Bible? You know, nothing is in the Bible without purpose. None of it just slipped in or just, like, someone had a thought and added it on their own. This is God's word, and it's inspired by him, and none of it is without his control. And so why did he put this story in the Bible? He could have just skipped over Ishmael. Like, we didn't need to know those details necessarily because Isaac is the fulfillment of his promise. And why can't we just focus on Isaac? So as we kept talking about it and coming back to it, and why is this here, what we're able to see is that God's character shines powerfully through this story. Who God is is nothing but awesome in this story. We see God meeting Hagar in her distress and her hopelessness. He keeps his promise, even when their faith was weak. And then we see that his power, like we see through his power that his ability to extend his reach goes beyond what any human can define or limit um, or just say is going to be there. When more than 10 years went by after this promise, they saw hopelessness and thought God had left the situation. And they came up with a human plan to provide a human answer to God's promise. They limited God's power to their own understanding. And so by that train of thought, that would mean that they should have been able to push it out of God's reach. Like if God is limited to what we can understand, you would think, well, then they can push it beyond what God can control. But the truth is God doesn't have a limit to his reach. Um, I can reach out my arms, you know, and like, I guess fingertip to fingertip is kind of supposedly how tall I am, so that means I have, you know, like a two and three quarters reach this way, and two and three quarters foot reach this way, and um, 
I know that I can touch those things. Or when I think about terms of influence, my thinking is limited to this world and the people in this world. So maybe the internet can help me reach a whole lot further beyond what I can just touch or who I can talk to, but all of that's limited right here to this world and who is here in this world. Or you know, maybe I'll think about like, oh, I could write all these journals and someday my kids will read them and they'll go, wow, my mom was such a woman of faith because that's my dream. Um, but then I also think, oh, great, there's a whole lot I don't want them to see in those journals. Maybe I should get rid of them first. Um, so that is what my scope of thinking is for a reach. But God has no limit to his reach. It's completely endless. Um, he reaches beyond time, beyond space, and completely beyond our understanding. So in response to their human answer to his promise, he showed his power by reaching even further. You know, they limited to this, and he went even further than it. Multiple times, they assumed that God wasn't there, or God wasn't going to do what he said he would do, and they took things into their own hands. But God was still able to work. He worked even with their interference. Um, and that same God, with that completely limitless reach, with that compassionate heart that he showed to Hagar, um, with his commitment to his word and how he kept his promise to Abraham— that God is our God today. So that story about that God is the same God we get to know today. He will meet us in our distress, just like he met Hagar. And he will not abandon us, even when we try to take matters into our own hands and try to control and maybe make some really bad choices in the midst of that process. Um, he keeps his promise, even when we don't know how it's possible. So faith is what comes into all of this. Sarah, Sarah lacked faith. Faith is believing that not only will God give us what he promised, but that God will provide the means to answer that promise. Or if he doesn't provide those means, that he will do something supernatural. You know, Sarah decided she was going to provide the means, but what God was able to do was something even greater and even bigger than what she could have done. Um, faith knows that if he... Um, if he doesn't provide those means, he's providing his way out of it. And he will accomplish in supernatural ways what our human terms can't even understand. Faith is trusting in the promises of God despite the problems that we experience. And knowing that with God, all things are possible. All of the promises he has made, even if we don't see how they're going to happen, he can make them happen. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older, which I am in my mid-30s now. I was telling Nolan that when we turned 34 this past year, that we're mid-30s. And he's like, no, we're still early 30s. I was like, yes, Nolan, this is mid. I'm proud of it. Like, we've reached this point. So I'm getting older. I'm out of my 20s now. I'm out of my, like, disillusioned idea of how awesome the world is. Um, although I do still think it's pretty awesome. Um, but I'm realizing that with getting older and seeing more of the world and having the internet available in my hands and social media, that I'm seeing a whole lot of bleakness out there. And I'm finding that some of the most bleak people who are the most hopeless are actually the ones who know God. And that just doesn't make sense to me. Because I'm like, God is God and he is real, yet you're having a hard time seeing it. And it's because they're having a hard time seeing that God is still in the midst of what we are experiencing. They're discouraged by our current political state or cultural shifts that we're seeing. Maybe our economy is starting to distress them. Or they're seeing that our world is not responding to real-world problems like they should. We're really concerned with first-world problems, but what about the real-world problems? 
Or maybe they see sin and faults in other people, and they forget that God's love and God's grace extends to those people just as much as his love and his grace extends to us. Um, I also see people who are posting all sorts of, like, starting fresh posts, and they're having this mantra, and this is my new battle cry, and all these self-helpy type quotes, which are really cool, but I think with a lot of people deep down inside, they're feeling broken, and they're hoping that these, like, quotes and holding tight to these quotes will fix those issues that they're feeling deep in their hearts. And in all this panic and all this distress that we're feeling over what's happening around us, it's like we're saying God can't be found here. This is too big for God to be present in. This is too dark for God to be a part of. But the thing is, God is not limited by our cultural norms or our boundaries or our expectations. This whole story is about how God can be found here, and not only that, he will succeed here in this scary moment, in your distress, in your pain or your panic or your hurt or your worry. God is still there, and God will succeed. So that is the God that I want to put my faith in, that I'm going to believe he can do it still. The Bible is full of promises God has made to us. Like, I just Googled, like, what are God's promises? And like, 30,000 promises come up. Um, I don't know if it really is that many, but it comes up a lot. And his promises that he's made that he'll never leave us or forsake us. He will strengthen us, and he will uphold us. That he has begun a good work in us, and he will be faithful to complete it. He promises to give us Jesus in eternal life, and there are all these wonderful promises that we need to hold on to. Um, But through all of these promises, there's one that I absolutely love, and that's that he can take us beyond our scope of understanding. So just like Sarah tried to limit him to what she could understand, God promises that he will take us beyond those limitations. Uh, We're going to look at John 14, um, because God gave us the promise of his Holy Spirit in this passage. Um, At this time, the disciples are in the upper room with Jesus for their last supper with him. Um, You have to understand, these guys have been raised in the story of Abraham. They are Abraham's descendants. So they have been raised to know that God made this promise to Abraham that his descendants would be more than the stars in the sky. They know that God promised Abraham that he would make them a great nation. And so they have been raised knowing this is who we are. We have this great story and God fulfilled his promise. And they know that the whole Old Testament is full of more promises of God telling them, I will send you a savior. You will be saved. And so they have been looking for this Messiah. The problem is they're again thinking within their scope of understanding. So they're thinking it's going to be a person, a king. He's going to come and overthrow the Roman government and we're going to be awesome and we're going to take over the world. You know, they're like, sweet, we're going to have power here on earth. The problem is God is greater than their understanding. So God had a different plan. And Jesus is preparing them because he knows what they're thinking and that they want something here on earth when he knows that his plan is so much greater and so much bigger because salvation eternally is way bigger than right there on earth. So he says to them in 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And we'll skip ahead to verse 25. 
All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom, God, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus is promising us the Holy Spirit. And he says in it that the Holy Spirit will help them remember and he will help them understand. And just like those disciples, in our minds, we can try to limit God to our scope of understanding and our scope of what we can see and the world as we see it and understand it. But he gives us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will give us peace when we can't see, when we're seeing a lack of response or a lack of action or a lack of direction or a lack of answers. He's going to help us see it, and he's going to give us peace. And so that means we need to be seeking the Holy Spirit, because what a gift to have that in us. Like, let's embrace it. There's power in that. It's amazing. Um, the other gift that he gives us alongside of that is found in James 1, 5, and 6, where we're told, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. God wants to give you understanding. He wants to help you see who he is, to know how to pursue him, to know how to live in the truth of the fact that he is bigger and greater than anything we can understand or imagine. He is relentless in keeping his promise to us. He isn't going to forsake us. He isn't going to leave us. He is right here. He is here with us, and he's doing such bigger things than we could ever understand. Um, we need to be relentless in seeking him especially when who he is or what he says or what he does doesn't make sense. Because just like, just think of how differently things might have gone for Abraham and Sarah if they really had truly believed that God was who he said he was and that he would keep his promise. Like it could all look completely different. But fortunately, they can't limit God. And so God is still big despite their choices. So as we go about this week and we're trying to not limit God and to try to see how big he is and understand and seek the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're going to end on Hebrews 10.23, which tells us, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. He will keep his promises to you. He will be with you. And he gives you that Holy Spirit, and he gives you wisdom, and that will never leave, and it will never change, and it will never weaken. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. Um, we thank you for stories in the Bible about people like Abram and Sarah and Hagar and that we get to see that even in their humanness and their mistakes and their faults, that you are still bigger than we can even imagine. Um, Lord, we thank you that you give the promise to us that we have the Holy Spirit, that we know we can trust that you have called us and that you will take care of us and, Lord, that we will experience eternity with you. So we just ask that you would continue to open our eyes to see how big you really are. In your name we pray. Amen.